Hello everyone and welcome back to the Two Baggies One Light Bulb Podcast. You join us of course for the cooldown XL. Uh, today we took a fat, fat L against Manchester City Football Club. We lost 5-0 at home. I think I saw a statistic it was with the uh, first club in Premier League history to do that. Uh, to lose a game by <laughs> three or more goals um, consecutively yeah. for five games, something. So that's a lovely, lovely uh, accomplishment to add to the 2020-2021 season uh, championship belt. Uh, Dom, of course, is with <laughs> me. Uh, how are you doing, mate? Uh, awful, mate. Pretty awful. But, you know, it's pretty expected with these midweek games watching Albion now, isn't it, to be perfectly honest? Uh, my Tuesday nights are usually the worst nights of the week because we're usually playing these teams and get absolutely smashed. So I'm kind of used to it now. Um, this is what we expect, really, isn't it? You know, we're kind of... Well, we knew before the game, we've got the worst defence in the league and we're against the team with the best defence in the league. So it's no surprise that the game has finished 5-0, is it really? Um, when you take that into consideration. Um, I don't know what the hell Pep was on about. Uh, in his pre-match interview before the game, uh, the day before the game, calling Sam Allardyce a genius. I think he needs to uh, redefine his definition of the word genius. If anyone knows his address, I'm, I'll send the guy a dictionary because I'm sure there's something going on with his English there. Um, because what I witnessed today was not um, anything genius at all. It was the complete antithesis yeah, of it's, it's a genius setup. The press setup. officer comes across. The press officer comes across and goes. Pep, you called someone else a genius. Oh, genius. I thought he meant Belend. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe. Um, I don't know. Maybe there's something lost in translation there, but I definitely did not see anything that would warrant the term genius being thrown at Sam Allardyce today. Yeah, um, as I say, the complete opposite. Um, but to dissect this game, um, I mean, the first goal goes in and it's just a, a quality, quality goal, isn't it really, from uh, Arco Gundogan. And, you know, the ball comes over. I still over. have my issues it's with a, it. I do have my issues with it. I mean, when, when you look at it, for me personally, when you look at that, the ball comes over. Um, it's an incredible uh, first touch as well to control the ball. Um, Ajay comes over to do all he can really to c- consolidate that space. And he just instantaneously puts it in the bottom left-hand corner. For me, there's not much... There's no license for that, really. You're just against a very good team who you know have supreme quality over you at the start of the game. And they've capitalised on that. They've created a great opportunity and scored the goal. It's a, it's okay, fair enough, 1-0. Let's try and build on that. Let's keep doing what we were doing in the first five minutes of the game um, because we were kind of taking it to Man City. We had a few throw-ins. I know it's ridiculous to say, but we had a few long throw-ins, putting a bit of pressure on them. In the first five minutes, uh, they counted us, and I think Sam Johnson had a fantastic save as well um, in that opening section of the game. Um, but the second goal, mate, the second goal, um, VAR again dictating games, crucial points in the season for us. Um, yeah, it's influ- it it's ridiculous. Gone, it's further than just a VAR mishap or, oh, he's just a toe offside. This is getting. No, this is now influencing uh, officials, and you yeah. mentioned it on the call down. It's the ineptitude of the referee. Um, that is he a bad referee? Who knows? He didn't necessarily have a bad game. Other than that, but is that his skill or is it just him yeah, being influenced he's a bad by referee. the VAR rules? If no, you're asking yeah. me, I know you were saying I'm, that. I'm all about as know. in like it's the influence of the VAR rules uh, and that changes his perception of it. And then he has a different opinion to the lineswoman on the other side. So it's was it a difference of a opinion referee. or wasn't it? Was it a difference of opinion or was it the fact difference of that opinion just... or difference of knowledge uh, as to what the rule was? Do you know what I mean? No, I don't think it was. I think it was. I think it was. 
No, I dis- I, well, I disagree with that. I would say that it was just the fact that he was, he didn't pick his head up and look at the lineswoman. I and saw him look. I, I could have said. Hand. I thought he looked over and he thought, "I've got to let the, I've got to let them play on." That's what I thought it was. From what? Um, from what? From from where the? I mean, we obviously record this straight after the game, and sometimes you could tell it's a bit heated and a bit passionate. Sometimes, but from what I looked at, it was the fact that he looked over in that sort of buffer ten second period, um, which we know now because of the. Uh, inclusion of VAR and the offside rule, the lines men and women need to give a sort of 10 second buffer between even if it's a blatant offside or not, they give that opportunity just in case it isn't offside. And we knew that it's not offside. When we've gone back to look at this decision, we can see that the correct decision has been made, yes, but let's put that to one side. The guy was on onside, okay, it was obvious, but the flag comes up after the 10, uh, the 10 second buffer. Yeah, exactly. After the 10-second buffer, the flag goes up and it influences the decision-making of the West Bromwich Albion defence because they look at the flag and go, oh, it's offside then. The proper protocols have been taken by uh, the implication of VAR into the offside rule. Um, So, okay, it's offside. We'll stop playing. The heads go down and we stop marking our men and whatever. And we just touched on this a little bit in the cool-down. That old cliche of, oh, play play to the whistle, play to the whistle. And yeah, that's fine. We can use that as as an argument, a basis for an argument. Fair enough if you want to play devil's advocate with my position. But But what I would retort to that is that um, you could say that before the creation of VAR. But VAR has muddied this position of the offside rule to the point where once you've given the 10-second uh, buffer or roughly 10-second buffer and then the flag goes up, the players know then that that's almost definitely offside. And there are too many implications, there are too many variables and there are too many grey areas within this very obvious offside rule now um, that's influenced this decision-making has led to this second goal. And to be honest, cost us the game. Because yeah. after that, Head's all dropped. the goals that go in, 2-0 to Man City, there's no way of clawing it back from that. When, in the way that we tactically set up as well, yeah, where we create very few when, opportunities. When you're on about like playing to the whistle and everything, I think there's also a part of it that these guys are looking at the flag, and the f- it's not like in football the whistle means everything, because the flag has a meaning too. If they see the flag go up, as professional footballers that, that back four have been playing football a while, they expect the referee to then call, for, then blow his whistle for the offside. So they haven't just they haven't seen a hand up for offside and stop playing. They haven't assumed that he's offside and stopped playing. They've seen an offside flag, and they've and mm. they've slowed down. So this is where the play to the whistle is. Yeah, it's a good thing for devil's advocate, and I agree to an extent. But <laughs> the referee, when you add, I think the best thing that adds to it, Dom, is when you're talking about she's giving it the ten second buffer. It's a close yeah. call as well. I don't think it's 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 saying oh she should have got that right in the first place. It's a close call. It, Furlong's a long way off, a long way away from her, and he's playing him on by what a shirt length. So, it's a tough Obviously, call. Obviously, uh, you've got the conclusion, which is you've got to play play to the whistle. We're using the cliche, right? But it's true. The, the autonomy should be with the referee and always has been. But VAR has kind of muddied um, that w- what we consider the referee's power to ha- uh, has now. The power of the referee is up for debate when VAR has such influence over the refereeing decision. And because um, the, re- the lineswoman has made that decision... Before you know, this is the implication is an infect uh, has affected. Sorry, the uh, West Bromwich Albion defence. Now, before the the creation of VAR and before VAR has been implemented into the game, you can look at that and look and say, well, we need to play to the final whistle. The before the creation of VAR, that Albion defence 
isn't looking at the lineswoman at all in that situation. They're waiting for the refereeing decision. They're doing what they need to do. But because of the this this buffer and because That's we really wait to play on and put the flag up, um, they know. Oh, okay. With absolute, you know, with absolute certainty, this yeah. must be offside. They've and waited their the time. They, they've was, called for offside. They know they've got to wait for it to go up, and then they see it go up, and it's like, okay, then the ref whistles now, and we can now take our free kick. That's exactly. How, that's how they all work. That's a really and then obviously, I haven't thought about it in that way. Well, exactly, and obviously it's transpired that you know the, that they were onside and it was a legitimate goal. But what I'm, what we're trying to hone in on is the fact that the lineswoman has made a decision there and influenced the decision making of the West Bromwich Albion defence, which has led to that second goal. So VAR has influenced the play. If we were, if we were given an offside decision and it was a case of a player being in front of a shot being taken, there was a player offside and he was directly in front of the goalkeeper and is influencing the decision making of the goalkeeper by obstructing his sight or obstructing his movement, that wouldn't be a goal. However, we're in a situation today with the second goal with Man City where the lineswoman and the referee have cost us by using VAR as a system that's supposed to stop this from happening in order to influence the decision-making of our defence that has led to that second goal. Yeah, it's it's I, ironic. I also, you couldn't just, make it up. I just think, for, for me, I, I don't think it's... When it happens, it's annoying, it's frustrating. Um, but for me, it's more about the implementation of VAR. It says more about the referee and the officiating than it does for us. Yeah. I don't think... That, that, I don't think if they, if they don't score that goal, it's not as if we go on and win this game. It's not like we get a point from this game because on a whole we got battered and we probably did deserve to lose five nil. Um, so I, I don't I, know, mate. I mean, opi- probably from my opinion, I don't think it, it saves us. I don't think Cancelo not scoring that goal saves maybe, us. I think we were doing maybe. Maybe or not, because I would I would say we still had a chance at that point because one at one nil down it was one nil and for in my opinion um, it was it was an, an excusable goal right because of the the way that it was created and the way that it was finished I, we didn't have much license for that the second goal was obviously incredibly controversial with the inclusion of VAR as well and and when you lose when you're a team like us and the way that we set up which some fans might call negative. I would say that we're a team that is low in possession and a team that plays a lot of long balls and a team we that has a very block. few attempts and opportunities. Block, so, so we do. Yeah, exactly. Um, some might call that negative. I call it, well, I'm, at this particular moment in time, I call it pragmatic with the players it's pragmatism, that we have. Yeah, it's pragmatism. Um, so, but and obviously it's not great to watch at times, but when you're a team that plays like that and you're 2-0 down against a team like Manchester City, it's very, very difficult to claw back from that because we've got to score two goals against Man City who have the best defence in the league and we're of a team, obviously, that doesn't create an awful lot of opportunities. You know, a handful every game, really. Today was the same um, as well. I mean, we had one shot on target. They had seven. Um, so you could see the differences in play there. Um so it's very, very difficult to, I'm going to say, win the game. You've got to score three goals past Man City and concede no others as well when you've got the worst defence in the league. Um, and then you've got to score two just to equalise. So from then on, it's difficult. And when you take into account as well um, the amount of times we've gone 2-0 down that early in games, um, we've always gone and lost the game 3-0 or 4-0 or 5-0. You know, it's, it always happens. Our mentality crumbles. And we come again to the team mentality that it's not really changed um, under Bilic over to, to Allardyce. Um, we seem to lose our heads um, whenever we, we concede a couple of goals early in the first 30 minutes of games. 
um, no matter whether it's under, like I say, Sam Allardyce or Slavin Bilic. And the, the irony is is that the last time we played Manchester City, Slavin Bilic lost his job when we managed to get a 1-1 draw um, away. So it's, it's a very strange turn of events that have happened in the last few months. Yeah, I think it's important to note that we aren't playing the same Man City side that we got the 1-1 draw against. This Man City team was ridiculous. They were they would do what they wanted. Um, a lot True, of that has well, but, some of that has to do with how poor we were. But this team at the moment, if you've watched them play in previous games, they are unreal at the moment. They're, this strikerless formation hmm. it causes havoc. I yeah. mean, uh, one of the one the one of the only one things I agreed on commentary on BT today was them talking about. Um, Oh, Robbie's obviously a lot to hear from Julian Lescott and how you'd approach to marking this back, this front uh, three or whatever it was of Man City because it's strikeless. Do you mark space? Do you mark someone individually? It does cause havoc. And if I was them, I wouldn't go back to a striker necessarily because it's working so well for them. Um, mm. But you, you know, you've said about heads dropping. That's just there's a natural thing to that, but there seems to be something weird within this this team that they just hate it. They just stop working. Um, some individuals just well I say some individuals the fair few of the individuals aren't good enough for the Premier League and that's harsh that is harsh to take but it, it's a realistic thing um, and it's just a lot of this comes down to the fact that we haven't invested um, and we've mm. we've panicked sacked our manager and we've got another one in and expect him to work miracles with his championship side and we just don't you know what I mean I thought we we know our, our administration left Slava Bilic with barely anything to spend at which he had to he, they, apparently the loan signings weren't in the budget, but we only got what Carlan Grant as one new one new player, I think. That we spent hmm. money on. I'm a bit frazzled right now, so I can't remember. But we left the manager <laughs> um, to have to re-sign the players to actually stay at the same. We had to spend money on Dean Guard. We had to spend on Robinson and all these loan players and Pereira in order to actually have that championship quality squad. Because without those players, we probably aren't a big championship top table quality mm. so and then to give no backing to Bilic and now to promise or to say to Slam, uh, Sam Allardos that he will get the backing for him now to come out and say he's had to lower his expectations is a joke and I really do think we're on a downward spiral and the pessimist in me is, is freaking out at the moment because I can see us going down a really really dark creek well, I mean, after every after every loss, we can kind of go down the flowchart and and end up at um, where it all started, which was the lack of investment, the lie administration. We, we, I think all Albion fans in the know kind of know that that's happened and and how this has all transpired ever since the takeover and um, the start of the season's transfer policy. It's just bad energy. Um, that's that is it as well. It's bad energy that comes from the top down. That means we we don't even turn up. At, uh, we don't even turn up to these games and put up a fight. You know, there's well, just this so much is the bad thing. energy around the team that affects it. There's no fight. Let look, we think we're going to lose, but we want to see some fight. There was no fight well, in us at all. This is the thing: is that me as a football fan, um, first and foremost, I'd love to be able to watch Albion and us to come on the podcast and to discuss the um, the ins and outs, tactic. We talk about tactics, strategy, um, all these um, higher forms of football. You know, it'd be great to have this have this discussion. However, we have to keep coming on the podcast and we have to keep talking about the lowest rung of football in every time. We have to talk about commitment, passion, uh, desire. We have to talk about these little buzzwords that terrible, terrible commentators and Sky Sports News talk about because we don't have this basis within the squad anymore. 
and you need to have that very fundamental and very primary basis to the squad in order to be able to talk about these um, th these higher end uh, footballing standards to talk about like I said strategy um, you know all this other kind of stuff that you would love to talk about as a fan of football but we can't because we're so um, preoccupied with the like I said the base level of conditioning for this squad just simple desire, simple wanting to go out and play against teams like Manchester City. Every time we concede a goal, it looks like um, we take a massive hit to our confidence, as if we've come from a, we've already start with such a low ebb of um, of ambition, um, and it just goes into into the point where we just do not want to be there. No one wants the ball. No one wants yeah. to make a run. It goes deeper. It's this air of negativity, like you say. It goes deeper than like I said on the call down. It's not just a loss to Man City that's doing it. We expected to lose today. It's the manner in which mm. the like, the mannerisms of the player, the lack of effort, you know, the lack of the lack of Sam Allardyce on the touchline. It's always Sammy Lee. He's shouting from his chair. Just, it's just a sour taste in the mouth. Like if we lost today, one nil, two nil, put up a decent fight. I'd go into Fulham thinking, right, this is you know we're, we're bouncing on from that win against Wolves, that close game against West Ham. But we've mm. we've shot all that stuff in its back, and we're back to square one. We're playing awful. Whether it's Man City yeah. or not, it was a bad performance. There was no effort. Individuals were poor. So now we're mm. going into Fulham, even worse off. And this yeah. Fulham team's playing well. You know, some you know they're sticking with Scott Parker. And Scott Parker's got them playing them good. They've got good players. Adam Luckman's a bit of a, a talisman for them at the moment, playing well. I mean, the hilarious thing is, is even when they were playing bad, they still managed to uh, beat us 2-0 earlier in the season as well. So, uh, well, I mean, I'm us. not looking forward to the... 2-0 exactly. flatters us in that game. 2-0 flatters us in that game. We were horrible. That was one of the worst performances we've put in. I think these things are getting forgotten. We were dreadful. And again, I don't yeah. think that comes down to the manager. That doesn't come down to Slavin Bilic. That's, again, the players not showing up. Mm. It, it's totally at least when you can you can distinctively see where it's the manager because choices and selection and things are going well. But when players aren't turning up against basic sides like Fulham that are going to do the basics, that's when the problems in the squad occur, and that's when I think that there are deeper issues within this team. Well, I talked I talked about this um, a little bit when we were um, interviewing Paul Robinson on uh, on the sit down. And uh, anyone that hasn't gone and listened to that, they should go and listen to it because it's a fantastic interview. And uh, Paul really yeah, regales us with uh, some of his insights. And, and listen to the Paul Robinson interview. It's much better. Yeah, than think about the good uh, getting sad yeah. and depressed over this. Loss. Yeah, get some nostalgia listening uh, to about uh, about the good old days, uh, the boring boring days. But um, but anyway, I touched on that and I was talking about how we hadn't really bounced back. From um, from the COVID uh, break, and the fact was that we in the championship were a formidable side. Teams hated playing against us. Were scared of us. Scared to come to the Hawthorns as well. We had an incredible record, and we deserved to be on the top of the championship at that point. And then obviously COVID happened, and it wasn't just us. It was a bunch of other teams as well that were affected by it. Um, but when we came back, we lost our edge. We seemed to lose that winning mentality and that um, ability to kill off games and wanting to play and wanting to kill off games and to to go out there and destroy uh, destroy opponents we lost that edge um and then that's when Leeds leapfrogged us and then when Brentford almost beat us to the punch to take second place anyway and I think that that season our mentality was so bad we were we were kind of expecting to get promoted in one sense and then didn't really want to be on the pitch and things weren't really working out um, on the other as well I feel like if we had dropped a third we'd still be in the championship now we wouldn't be having this season in the Premier League and I feel like we've uh, and I said this to Paul I feel like we've carried that mentality 
into the Premier League campaign, this negative uh, mentality where we, we almost feel like we don't need to belong there and, and things aren't um, working well, things aren't um, happening for us. And there are players there that really shouldn't be in the team as well, uh, if I'm honest. I mean, I touched on it a little bit in the call down with Sawyers. Sawyers had a terrible, terrible game today. Um, I mean, I can count on my hand the amount of times. There's probably three instances this season where I've gone... Uh, Sawyer's either had an okay game or had the best game he ever had. Um, I mean, one of those happened in the last two games. Um, that's, you know, kept him going up until this point. But, you know, he does deserve some criticism. He does deserve some criticism, um, especially today as well. I mean, what did you make of Sawyer's today, mate? Yeah, just a bit of a non-factor, really. Um, and the only factors that would happen would be negative. Giving the ball away to Wilco Gundogan leading to the third goal. Um, why was Gallagher I, I, on the bench? I mean, from a yeah. tactical perspective, but, why I'll is Gallagher on the sec, bench I'll there? I'll that in a sec, because I wanted to come on to Gallagher. But um, on, on Sawyer's, yeah. I, I think in a, in a possession-based team where he doesn't have to do much defensively and he could pick his place and say, I'm going to kick it there or I'm going to pass it there and be beautifully weighted, he looks really good. But, he's been but no to team do a lot exists like that anymore. I Tell know. me a team he's where been, that exists. I know, I know. He's not gonna, he's not you know what I mean? Like a, Maybe an Italian team from the 90s? I mean, we've got to literally go back in a time machine to find a team that can accommodate Romain Sawyers now. I mean, you well, look at no, every it'd be, major... It'd be the best, it'd be the best today, teams, but you're not good to that. get into the best teams. Do you know what I mean? You know. Well, even the best teams play um, don't play like that anymore. Every player is expected to have reverse rolling, to, to move position. We've had a Man City team today that have had, like we say, no, no out-and-out striker, and they've had a rolling striker, and they've had this ability to rotate through the front as well. Um, teams don't allow players like that anymore to just sit at the back and play the ball out and not be touched. You know, he's no Andrea Perlo. Um, you know, the game isn't played like that. The, the system of playing doesn't allow for teams to play like that anymore especially a team in our position at the very least um so for me remain isn't allowed to have that level of privilege um to sit in the midfield and feel like he could just kind of pass the ball about and not be touched he's got to have more semblance to his game and like i said gallagher being benched is um is strange to me because gallagher does possess those qualities to be a more total footballer in the midfield he can pass the ball for me exactly the same with the same proficiency as Romain Sawyer's but his overall game is much much better than Sawyer's is yeah I mean Gallagher on the bench was shocking to me today I started him over Romain Sawyer's every day of the week um and then he's just better he's one of the players that I'd actually consider Premier League quality we don't even own him he's on loan so there's a lot of things going on um I'm fed up of seeing Matt Phillips come off the bench because he does that thing and it infuriates me. Like he, He'll go on his toes and like, oh, I was going to go, but I didn't. It's so frustrating. He lost the ball so many times mm. after coming on. Uh, I'd rather see Carl Edwards go on and have a run at him uh, and try and make something. The Dudley Prince stand up, you know what I mean? Dudley Prince, Just so yeah. many things. <laughs> so many things going on. Um, we need quality. We need signings. We ain't going to get him. It's depressing. Um, and we're facing relegation in the face. And it's It's bleak. And I said earlier, I think it could go deeper. We, you know, we're not owned by an owner who cares, and an owner that don't care, don't care about who he sells it to, and that could lead us in such a deep dark hole. So, you know, imagine this. I think if you work somewhere and you never see who you're working for, you never hear from who you're working for. The only things you hear is he owes money, he this, oh, COVID's bad, oh, we need the money for promotion, isn't it? That's going to affect you, isn't it? So there's a human level. They are footballers. They get a lovely wage, but they still they still have a boss, quote unquote, above the manager, and that would be Gwok Online. 
So I think these things are affecting it. I think the, the things coming out about the club affect these players. And I think the COVID stuff and all the talk about money around the Albion at that time affected them. Maybe it was threatening their livelihoods. Maybe they thought, well, we aren't going to even try when we go up to the Premier League. We're not even going to get the investment. So what's the point? I don't know. Mm. There's something going on. And it's, it's frustrating. The quicker we're sold, the better. The quicker we can get better players in, the better. You know, Carl and Grant was missing for 40 minutes of that first half. I forgot he was playing. Yeah, I really did forgot he was even mm. playing. He was playing on the left. And I thought I'd like to. I was thinking of trying Colin Grant on the left, but he went missing. Rock Callum Robertson can't finish anything. He had a de- he had a half decent chance, and if that's a better striker, that's going in. It's infuriating. We need a stri- you know if we want to go through it, we need a striker, we need a centre mid, we need a centre back, we need a left back because Gibbs isn't good enough anymore in my opinion. Um, we could probably do with a, a wide player as well. You know, you can. The list problem them is, off. is that we're Depth. not. You say we Premier need. You say we need quality. We do need quality, but we're not going to be able to attract the level of quality that we need. And the problem is, is that so we've got players we're being linked with, and then there's like Ahmed Musa. There's, um, you know, is is someone that I think he's going to be on trial next week, and Sam's going to closely look at him to see if we're going to sign him. But then, like today, for instance, Edin Dzeko has become available, and you're like, holy hell, you know, like, you know, make make everything aligned so we can get Dzeko, Jesus H. Christ, imagine if we signed someone of that calibre, could actually make the most of the small amount of opportunities we're creating, but then Everton are in for him, and it's like, okay, well, you know, he's going to bench one at Everton, whatever, and then it's like Jesse Lingard, who I personally wouldn't have, but okay, you can make the case and say, that's a quality player that's in the upper echelons of, of the remit that we uh, we possess, you know, when you, when you consider our position in the league, but then... Um, uh, West Ham's in for him because they're they're more likely to throw the money at his wage packet, and it's like, well, who are we actually going to sign? We're, we're left with Ahmed Musa, a guy that couldn't get a, a game at Leicester, a guy that's goal scoring record has been dismal in the last year or so. Um, obviously, he's got some good attributes, which which was the reason why he signed for Leicester for decent money in the first place. But it's kind of like, well, we can't be in that position. We can't just take these guys that have had a bad career spin recently and try and get the most out of them because we're a team that's not in the position of doing that. We need players that already have the Premier League experience to slot into this team like Robert Snodgrass has. Not a glamour signing, but you can kind of come and um, slot straight into that position in midfield and play the game. He, Robert Snodgrass does not need a grace period or a holiday period in order to play the game in the same way that Carlin Grant has moving up from the championship or some of these players that only play championship football have in this squad. And someone like Ahmed Musa coming into the squad, for me, isn't going to change much, to be perfectly honest, um, because he's going to need that grace period, like I say, and we can't afford to give him that. We need a player that can come in and just go, okay, you're going to create this opportunity through this way, this way, this way. This is how we're going to set up tactically. Where do you need me? What do you need me to do up front? And I will make the most out of the four or five uh, you know, opportunities that we get a game, and I'll score a goal or two maybe. Um, the joke is, we the can't joke attract is the, the, best, the best player we've been, attra- we've been linked with uh, in that sort of role is Christian Benteke, and we aren't even going to get Christian Benteke. <laughs> I know. That's how bad it's got. I, I, a guy that... I'd have took it. Yeah, I'd, I'd take Christian Benteke with everyone we've linked with. Christian Benteke is the best option because he's good at holding the ball up and he's got a bit about his passing game. He's finishing. There's a lot to be desired, and I'd definitely take James McCarthy with him as well. Um, I'd take James however, McCarthy for, however, the, for the same Benteke, reasoning. Christian Benteke is earning upwards of ninety thousand pounds a week. I think it might be six figures. Um, and his contract's out his contract's out in six months he's not going to take a voluntary pay cut I'd be very surprised if he does and we're not going to stump up any money to even go alright you're earning 100 we'll give you 60 we're not going to stump up that money 
Uh, James McCarthy, well, you know, he could he's linked with Celtic. He could wait until summer and uh, analyse his options. And mm. by Diam, we're not going to stump up money for him. We're not going to stump up money for these. So, yes, we can't attract certain players like Lingard because other teams can win for him. But there are players out there that we could sign that would be good, you know, here or abroad. But, sorry, we aren't going to stump up the money to even attract, not the player, even make the clubs put their ears up and think, okay, there's an option to sell him to. It's mm. ridiculous. There's no funding going on. You know, no, you know, they thought, so signing players, they put a two million clause in Sam Allardyce's contract saying, if you keep us up with that, that's their gamble. Their gamble is spending two million on Sam Allardyce to keep us up, not spending two million on an ageing striker who might do a job for us. But that, that two million isn't even a gamble, mate, because it's two million pounds to incentivize the manager to stay us up, uh, to keep us up, sorry. Um, but we're going to make hundreds of millions from staying up anyway, so it's a, it's a small slice of, you know, it's barely crumbs from the pie. I was going to say a slice, it's crumbs at that point. So they're not really taking a gamble in that sense. It's more taking a gamble, putting that two million into a player, and then us going down and then us being lumbered with a two million pound player, because that's a two million pound investment and a wage on top of that. With Allardyce, if, he, if we go down, he'll walk away anyway, and we don't have to trump up the millions for every uh, position he's above... Seventeenth, uh, you know what I mean. So it's it's G- for me gamble it's or not, impossible. Gamble or not, it's abhorrent that they'd rather do that than spend that mil- spend that money on players. To me, yeah, I think it's it's, well, yeah. it's beyond. It's it's so stupid. They'd rather go for that option than actually put someone into the club that could help us. You know, mm. I, it's, I'm sick of it. I am sick of it. We haven't got good enough players. People crying about why isn't Bartley in the line? Why isn't Grzycki in the line? But Grzycki and Bartley aren't good enough anyway. I could give a toss They're if they're in the lineup or not. They're not. You know, it's it's, it's, it's looked, a case of rotating these Grant. average players around. We looked yeah. at Carlin Grant as our saviour, and everyone's like, oh, we're going we can to can bang goals. I was like, okay, he could be a good signing for us, but is he going to bang goals? I didn't think so. We were so starved that we signed Carlin Grant on tick. Not even up front. He's on like 4.5 million or 2.5 million for the next five seasons or whatever it is. I mean, it was so, a great deal considering. I'll give him that. But I mean, with is, Carlin, I, Carlin, I was Grant happy when we signed him. Yeah, it'll be great in the championship, but, but I don't really want to focus on that now, and, and we shouldn't be. But like with Carlin, I was happy when we signed him. He had a good, proficient goal-scoring record with a terrible Huddersfield side uh, for two solid seasons in the championship. And I thought, okay, he's good enough to make that step up to the championship. If he's scoring 20-plus goals every season, you know, maybe he could get 10 for us. That's a good tally. 10 Premier League goals for a club that's like looking to stay up um, and be, you know, just, just taking that 17th spot is massive success to get 10 goals at that point is an incredible season for a striker of a club in that position um but it's just not transpired that way and why is that well because we've had two managers come in with two very different styles of football we've been um you know we've been on the back foot from the start of the season from all the reasons we've talked about in this podcast and previous as well lack of investment the mentality of the club um things that have happened post covid in the championship season all these things and when you put all these things together we're always going to have a bad time in this premier league run we're always going to be up against it um and it's just we become reflective don't we we reflect on these things after we have these big losses to these teams i remember the other when we lost to leeds when we lost to aston villa um you know and it's, today it's when we've lost 5-0 the problems though. they become representative of these problems though, don't they don't you know we get battered 5-0 and you don't just look at the game you think what the hell's going on in the club as a whole do you mm. know what i mean there's all this stuff oh you know oh look at luke dowling wheeling and dealing getting these great deals 
you know, Semi Joy, he's a brilliant son, he's a brilliant player. But when you look about when you think about it, that's just a two million pound signing from Rotherham that panned out for him and made him look like a genius. Nothing said about the four, potentially eight million for Kenneth Zahor. I've said it thousands yeah. of times. We need to pull we need to pull the you know, the curtains back a bit and look at what the hell is going on at this football club. I think there needs to be a massive um that, that whatever happens at the end of this season, if we do go down, obviously I hope that doesn't happen, but it's looking very, very likely, especially after today. Um, there needs to be a massive, massive inquest into what's going on at the club, especially if we're still owned by um, uh, by Zhao Lao. So there needs to be a massive, a massive look, not an investigation, that's not going to happen, obviously, I'm nothing as official as that, but we need to be self-reflective and kind of go, well, what the hell happened this year? What the hell happened? We can't just blame it on COVID because there were loads of clubs that have had the scourge of um, all the effects of COVID. It can't just be that. We can't just use that he's as skinned. a scapegoat. He's, he's got to be skin. He's skin. He's taking the dividend payments and there's no money going back into the club. He's yeah. used the lie of self-sufficiency and all this bollocks to go, that's why I'm not putting money in the club. Jeremy Peace could say that, that we were self-sufficient because he actually stumped up some money at times. And Jeremy Peace has a lot to answer for for taking that loan of £4 million, hoovering up shares, selling mm. the club onto someone who fucked us over. Well, yeah, he does. Well, he does. And we were self-sufficient under, under Peace, but... Peace was the guy that introduced these dividend payments, but you can't be angry at Peace, in my opinion, because we knew the devil that we had. You know, we knew what Peace was about. We knew that he wasn't going to invest his own personal wealth into the club. And this was at a time where owners were doing that, were investing their own personal wealth into the club. Now with FIFA Fair Play, obviously um, that doesn't happen as much anymore unless you're a uh, club that's somewhat owned by a uh, national economy. Uh, and you can get around these things. Um, but if you're a standard club, you can't really do that. So for for clubs in our position, we have to be self-sufficient. Um, but the problem is, isn't self-sufficiency. The problem is people dipping into that pot of the money that we generate ourselves and put it into their back pockets. And we currently have a system that's in place financially at the West Brom, whereby dividend payments are astronomical. They're massive. And the shareholders, of which Joachim Lau is the, the majority shareholder, takes a massive, well, I think massive a chunk of that. out as well. Uh, I haven't listened to it yet. The Liquid Data podcast, we've had Chris Lepkowski on in the past. He, him and Adrian Goldberg, they're looking at uh, into the the books of Grok and Lion, all this stuff, and they found a, a, a reason to suggest that he only owns fifteen percent of the company that even owns us, and he just fronts the the ownership of Albion. There's I haven't listened to it, so don't quote me, don't do anything this. I want to listen to it, but you know, all the fact that we can even suggest these things is shady. I don't want to be able to suggest that our owner might only own X percent of the company that owns yeah. us, or he's front, mm. he's faking his wealth. It's scary. I'll get echoes of Birmingham City in my head. Yeah, and it's those this, kind the, of vibes, the, isn't the potential it? potential sale of this club scares me as well. I said, this this guy who doesn't care about the club could be selling us to another guy that won't care about the club and could sink us potentially. And it'd be mm. worse. We, we're bad on the pitch, but it could get worse financially. And that's the bit that scares me. Well, the worst you could expect with Jeremy Pierce that was he was a bit too thrifty. And, uh, you know, that was basically it. But now, you know, not only is it the, the, the problems with the, the dividend payments and the way that we're set up, it's like you say, it's all these shady business dealings that are going on behind closed doors. We've touched on it with the, the sponsorships, the training ground, um, whose name is the uh, the ownership of the club under. It's, it's, it's too shady for me. And it's, 
Um, you don't like to see it with the way that we used to run our club. It was it wasn't the best way of running it. We were self sufficient, and obviously Jeremy Pierce made his money. Made his money, um, but it wasn't this dodgy, mate. It wasn't there wasn't these crazy uh, business dealings going on behind closed doors. Um, it just feels toxic, and that feels like the the kind of atmosphere that's going on at the West Brom at the moment. It's difficult to um, it's difficult to uh, even think about really difficult to take and we're not in the ground to show them what we think I, I think it'll be an exodus at the end of the season um if we do go down um because the spine of the team will be gone we've touched on this before you know players like Ajayi Johnston um those players will be gone um you know the lone players that we do have like Gallagher who are exceptional uh, they'll go back to their parent clubs and probably go on loan to either other successful Premier League clubs or try and um you know in right, the case the of Gallagher team. at least try and get a goal yeah, try and get a game. Sorry, in uh, in the first team. Oh, God, we there's just so much going on at the moment with this club, and it's it's not nice. We used to be in a nice position, um, but the sale of the club doomed us. The bad selection of chairman, the bad selection of directors, the bad selection of players that we signed, the bad selection of managers um, relegated us. Uh, we mm. struggled to get back up. We got back up. We limped over the line, and we're not limped. able to secure this season either. So if we stay up, it'll mm. be a miracle. Um, but if we go down, you know, I said before, pessimist inside me, we could be staying in the doldrums of the championship for a while. Um, and that's scary. But guys, mm. by all means, try and keep your head up. Go ahead and listen to the Paul Robinson interview we did. It's a great listen. Paul gave us a great insight. It was a lot of fun to do. Um, yeah. Be sure to keep an eye out for future sit-down episodes and future episodes of the podcast in general. A um, lot of stuff going on. Deadline day coming up. Transfers. You know, more rantings about the ownership. Stay tuned. Follow us on Instagram at Two Baggies One Light Bulb. Go and check out the cooldown at WA Latest and just try and stay positive, guys. Come on, you baggies. <laughs>